Hello, and welcome to another episode of Elwood City Limits, the episodic Arthur podcast. Will here, don't worry, there is an episode this week. Uh, You know, before we have episodes that involve a guest presence on the show, I like to take a little bit of time outside of the episode to do a little bit of housekeeping up top. So don't worry, you'll hear from Lucas and our guest very, very soon. The housekeeping today, well, there's a couple of Arthur news items I wanted to talk about. And of course, I wanted to respond to a couple of emails and give our Patreon shout-outs. So, let me go over to elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com, which is where you can, of course, send any email correspondences. Uh, I wanted to highlight, first of all, a letter that we got from, a digital letter, that we got from somebody named Lucas, not Lucas Mancini, a different Lucas, who says, I grew up with Arthur during both episodes When Carl Met George and where we were introduced to Marina. I say this because I'm both visually impaired and have Asperger's syndrome. I can relate to Carl in loud constant noises being just too much for my brain to handle fire alarms, emergency broadcasts, etc., and that I don't understand social cues. I'm in my mid-20s, so you can imagine dating is a giant annoyance. A lot of us who have Asperger's tend to have a certain cadence to our speech patterns, something I've noticed before, but just to tribute to a kind of less important side effect. Uh, So that's Lucas giving a little bit of uh, illumination from our When Carl Met George episode. We have another one that's very similar to that from The Lion Dog. Dear Will, Lucas, Mike, and Mark. Oh, man, the roster keeps growing. Much like your previous coverage of When Carl Met George, I found your insight on the episode interesting as someone on the autism spectrum. One thing I felt the need to mention is from your discussion on the jigsaw puzzle piece as a symbol for autism. When you brought it up, I cringed to myself as it's seen as a representation of how people with autism are missing something that makes them whole by organizations like Autism Speaks. We know enough to know that Autism Speaks. Uh -uh. Bad, bad news. Most members of the autism community prefer to use the infinity symbol with a rainbow pattern, as it signifies the endless possibilities of someone on the spectrum. Thanks, Lion Dog. I actually didn't know that. I mean, I'm not in the community, so I I appreciate that. And uh, that's really cool. I I like that uh, that symbol. We got one here right under the radar for Woogle, Will, and Lakewood Lucas from Infra AM90 who started listening to the podcast in August of 2021, since listened my way to season nine as of today, wanted to thank us for the content, especially on the commute to and from work. I recently turned 30 and have come to realize that I'm having an identity crisis. I know that I'm very blessed to have a steady job, and I don't have any major issues elsewhere, but I can't help but feel that many of the regrets that I have could have been prevented if I did something differently. I guess what I'm trying to say is that I'm not satisfied with where my life is currently. Watching each episode of Arthur in order, however, brings me back to a much simpler time in my life where the only worries I had were what I was going to have for lunch in the cafeteria or what am I going to play during recess. I also enjoy listening to your podcast after each Arthur episode. After listening to over 100 episodes, I feel like I know the both of you, or at least the you up to January 2020. This always lifts my spirits and has become an essential part of my day. In for AM90, thank you. Really appreciate that. Um, you know, try not to gas ourselves up too much on the podcast. But, you know, we've gotten a lot of great emails like that one. And as far as being 30, I'm only a year older than you. So I don't want to try and speak truth to you or anything. I, I understand the feeling of being at a certain point in your life and feeling what could you have done if things were differently. Instead of getting all maudlin about it as I can, all I'll say is that if you done things, di- if you had done things differently, you would be in a different position. Easy to say, right? Well, I think about that sometimes, and I think about all the things that I potentially wouldn't have if I had done things differently. Maybe it would have been better. Maybe it would have been worse. I have no idea. Ultimately, it doesn't help to to fixate on those things. It helps to look at what you do have. I know that's easy to say, and it's not always, I mean, it's hard to not look back and wonder what would you have done differently, but if you keep living in the past, you'll miss what you have in the present, and I'm trying to relearn that every day, but thank you for the email. Uh, These aren't official emails, but we do have a couple of things here. I like to um, get updates on how the podcast is doing. Apparently, we are number 96 for TV and film podcasts in South Korea. Uh, so cool, I guess. Hello, anyone listening from South Korea. 
Um, I also want to give a shout out to a couple of people who left five star reviews on the Apple Podcast Podcasts store. Thank you very much to A Clove nineteen ninety five and VTV. Thank you for your five star reviews and thanks everyone for your emails. Elwood City Limits at Gmail dot com. Also want to give a shout out to our new patrons. We have got people like Richard Mortimer, Americana Dream, and RPG Fiend who have joined us on patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. We also have wonderful patrons like Lauren Rodriguez, Anthony Williams, Anteater21, Sparky MAH32, Casey Cosmos, Kirsten, Vinny Cataldo, Kelsey Taylor, Hannah Kitten, Lawrence. And going to the second page, Owen, Lily W., Michaela Gibson, and Caitlin Harrington Robinson, among many, many others. Thank you all very much for your support. We really appreciate it. Okay, quickly, a couple of Arthur things. I wanted to remind you that Mark Brown's book that looks to be a retrospective on Arthur, Believe in Yourself, What We Learned from Arthur, releases on Tuesday, January 25th. So that's probably going to be out to bookstores everywhere. I already have it pre-ordered. It's going to be coming in the mail in the next couple of weeks. So yes, we're going to talk about it on the show once I get it, and I'll probably do a little bit more in-depth content for our patrons. So, believe in yourself, what we learned from Arthur coming out on the 25th. There was an announcement the day that we're recording this, uh, January 18th, from the Television Critics Association. A lot of news coming out about TV shows. So, an official release that Arthur is going to be debuting new online shorts, new online games, and even a podcast after the show goes off the air this year. So... The question has been, once Arthur is canceled, once Arthur's off the air, what's going to be the future of the brand? Well, it seems like they're pivoting to online, which is interesting to say the least. I've enjoyed all of the Arthur shorts so far. They're going to be doing more along those lines. Um, Online games, if you're into that. An Arthur podcast. Uh, I looked up the company they're going to be working with, Gen Z Media. They do a lot of story-based podcasts, so a lot of Um, audio dramas. They even do one for Molly of Denali. So it seems you could probably assume that there's going to be more Arthur stories through podcasts. Now, we'll have to wait and see what exactly that looks like. I don't know. They haven't contacted us, and that's okay. So as long as they don't try and horn in on our territory here, (laughs) we're the episodic Arthur podcast. So uh, hopefully uh, we can both coexist in what is becoming... Uh, quite the Arthur podcast sphere. There's a couple of other really good Arthur podcasts out there, not just us. Uh, reminder for you of the Arthur Marathon taking place from February 16th to 21st. That's happening on all PBS stations and on PBS Kids, the app. Uh, it's going to be streaming. So it's going to include every Arthur episode and every Arthur movie. It's a tr- it's an honest-to-God marathon. The final Arthur episodes, as announced today, will air on PBS stations and stream on the PBS Kids app at the end of the marathon on February 21st. So all five episodes of the final Arthur season will be airing on the 21st, including the final episode, which there's been, epi- there's been descriptions out there online. You can look it up. I don't want to spoil it for anybody. But it looks like we might be getting a look at Arthur in, uh, what can I say here that won't spoil it? Uh, We'll be getting a different look at Arthur, is as general as I can be. (laughs) So make sure that you uh, keep keep yourself updated, and we're going to have to figure out how exactly to cover Arthur news going forward. We're not going to be talking about new seasons, we're going to be talking about new content releases. So that's all of the preamble. I'm going to transition now into our episode for this week. Thanks to our patrons. Thanks to everyone who emailed. And thanks to all you Arthur fans listening. Let's get on with the show. Lucas, um, I, 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 don't mean, I don't mean to make this, uh, you know, I don't mean to, to, to make this weird or anything, but I get, I get the feeling that we're not alone here. You know, I'm actually starting to get that sinister sensation myself, Will. Uh, and the reason is not because I have some sort of, you know, ESP, uh, any sort of sixth sense like you. Uh, it's because I actually know why there's a third person here, and it's because I invited them. Oh, uh, oh well, that I, explains it. 
you know, it's it's not quite we're not quite done with January yet, but 2022 is moving by fast and furious. You know, it's almost the Valentine season. If you're going to go into uh, a department store these days, they're already putting up their Valentine's decorations, decor, uh, cards, all that Ugh. kind of stuff, even yeah. though we're not even into February. You know, it's the commercialization of the whole thing. And I thought, who better to uh, – who, who, who would be a better expert on love than host of Podcast 69, <laughs> uh, my good friend Rajon. Uh, who is joining us today? Hello, Rage. Hello, it's great to be here. Right, Lucas, and you mentioned so this is you. You went on a little bit of a uh, little bit of a tear uh, last year in terms of podcast appearances, and this is one of the ones that you made that we made sure to mention to our uh, Elwood City Limits listeners. But for those who may not know, uh, well, first of all, uh, Rage. Uh, We'd love to know a little bit more about you and about Podcast 69. What's the idea behind it? Sure. Well, Podcast 69 is a TV review podcast where we watch the 69th episode of a different TV show every month and uh, tell our thoughts about it and see if it's a good introduction into the series, which, you know, 69th episode, usually not the best. (laughs) <laughs> is that is that what you found over like how many like how many of these different uh, like you've looked at a lot yes. of different shows too it's not just like one style of television show through extensive testing uh we have found that episode 69 is almost never the best place <laughs> to start a series uh, well, what was the best one thus far i don't want to cannibalize your show too much but what, what well, was the best 69th episode as a as a layman as a, uh, well, uh, you know, funny you should ask, uh, sketch comedy usually works pretty well, except Kids in the Hall, because that is the Buddy Cole episode, uh, where he, he is the only character in it. It is an <laughs> entire Buddy Cole episode. So that's, a, it's, it's as if you found the worst possible episode to start with for that He's, show. It's the Curse of 69, even if the... You know, the everything hits right, the premises are ideal, it will still find a way to mess it up. And the way in for anybody who uh, has not listened to Podcast 69 is that you did an episode on Arthur's 69th episode, which I quite enjoyed listening to. It was It's always interesting to hear, it was, that was the episode you had Lucas on, but it was always it was really good to hear uh, your your thoughts about it as well. That, that you know, I'll say that kind of bucks your trend a little bit. I think the 69th Arthur episode is pretty good, actually. The 69th Arthur episode, uh, that's the one where DW opens a science museum. Yeah. It's absolutely adorable and hilarious. Uh, I'll add it, but it's the one where everyone comes up with a, a different story. Mm-hmm. And the animation style changes to match like South Park or uh, Squiggle Vision. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Which uh, I love as a fan of Squiggle Vision, but if you don't know what Squiggle Vision is, I don't know if you would enjoy it. It's a very, it's it's a bit of a more dated reference these days. Not many, you know, not many younger people mm. would know what mm. Doctor Cat's professional therapist is, or yeah, even zo- even whole Zoomers. Movies. Not a lot of cat heads amongst the Zoomers, I don't think. So rage beyond that. So now you're coming into our domain a little bit. I'd like to know if you have any history with Arthur. Like, were you? Did you watch it as a kid? Did you have a favorite character? I'm, I'm very curious about that. Yeah, this will be a bit of a recap if you actually listen to the Arthur episode of Podcast 69. But uh, I watched it apparently the first three or four seasons as a kid. Uh, And then fell off after that, as, you know, many kids do. You get to that age where you think, "Uh, Arthur, that's not cool anymore. Until you reach the age where someone's making a podcast about it and you're like, (laughs) "Eh, I should rewatch some of this. Eh." And uh, I I enjoyed it. I still remember a lot of Arthur episodes. uh, A lot of them centering around D.W., I... Uh, I remember the episode where she needs to get a library card, mm. but she can't spell her own name. 
which as someone with, you know, Axante Goose in my own name, I, I related to. <laughs> it's a tough name to spell. That's right. I didn't even I didn't even think about that. But yeah, that must have that must have been a little tricky to learn at first and perhaps more so for for others as well. So, Rage, you're going to be helping us uh, take a look at this Arthur episode, which is very much, you know, it's outside of the purview of the stuff that you or I or Lucas may have watched as a kid. We're deep into like season 13 now. This is uh, stuff that I haven't even seen before. This is this is my first time with this. So I'm, I'll be very curious to get your thoughts on this as we go forward in terms of like how the animation style looks, the types of stories that Arthur is telling, it might, uh, I wonder if it might seem a little bit, a little bit different than what you grew up with. Or, or maybe uh, Rage's brain will yeah. just explode uh, from not being used to watch, watch, wa- from not being used to watching something that's not the 69th episode of something like the amount of information piling in. That's not the 69th episode. It might be too much for him to handle. So we're, we're in un- uncharted waters at this point. It was really refreshing not watching the 69th episode of something. <laughs> uh, also refreshing not having to be the host. I get to relax and be a guest on this podcast. Yeah. Uh, I like. I have only one page of notes. That that is how relaxed I am. Perfect. That's. Uh, I love to provide that experience because I also I love being guests on podcasts for that exact same reason. So please. Uh, feel free to be as relaxed as you need to be. And listen, you, I, I, I said that maybe you might feel a little bit, you know, thrown into the deep end here. Like, I, I do know that you did, you, you went as you went into the 69th episode of Sword Art Online on your show. So I feel like that. I feel like that's that. That's like don't don't do that without a life jacket. I'm surprised you survived. My uh, my greatest shame is that I actually watch. I have seen almost every episode of Sword Art Online. Oh, okay. That that show is hilarious to me. I don't think it's supposed to be, but <laughs> uh, no, God, it makes me laugh every time. Will, I'm I'm rethinking this whole having rage on thing. Uh, I think maybe we should we should maybe stop recording here and and restart the pod, and just say you know it's had some technical technical difficulties with the Skype call. Uh, I joke, I joke. I'm so, I'm sorry, Lucas. We can't help it. The man is the man has been sao pilled. So uh, all we can do is 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 love him anyway and and continue. I am irony poisoned. I I cannot live without a heavy dose of irony every day. I completely understand that. So we're looking at uh, an Arthur episode here. We're in the middle of season thirteen. Uh, so the first half is a portrait of the artist as a young Tibble, which immediately. Once we talked about it last week, it got my attention up. And this is one of my favorite things now that we're so deep into Arthur. And, you know, how many stories can you really tell? I love when we do time skips forward, even if it's not necessarily, you know, canon. It's so great to see the characters uh, in older designs. Like the, the cold open here involves Muffy, who I would guess is probably in her late 20s, leading a tour of an art gallery. And she's presenting a piece that we find out is done by the Tibble twins, who we do actually see their older character design, which is unusual. We usually see them as like little little kids. We get to see the tw- the early twenties Tibbles here, who are as ugly as any ah. early twenty year old boy I've known or been. Yeah, they definitely look like art students. <laughs> they got like they have this like terrible like spotty facial hair. They kind of look like they. I I don't know I don't know why but I'm reminded of like they look like like Victorian gentlemen and I mean that as an insult. <laughs> and they still fight with each other. The 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 painting that they made was caused by fighting with each other and it's just like um I mean uh, it, by contrast they make Muffy look great. Muffy looks like she has her stuff together at the end of her 20s, maybe into her 30s, I don't know. But uh, it was just a little bit of a shock to the system to see these like older uglier tibbles as someone who has known artists in their early 20s uh, i will say accurate (laughs) i don't mean to throw shade but uh will uh, as as a as a grad i believe you have an english degree correct i do yeah does this episode have anything to do with a portrait of the artist as a young man by james joyce or is it just the name i guess it's just the name uh i'm a bad 
I, 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 yes, I have an English degree, but that doesn't mean that I read. Ah, I so, see. I see. You do speak English very well, though. Thank you. That's yeah. that was what that that's that's what I say about it. Um, so yeah, I to answer your question, I don't know, but Lucas, that's probably where the title comes from, at least. Uh, yeah. So, as someone who has an English degree and has also read Portrait of an Artist as a Young Man, you got, oh. me, beat. You got uh, me beat, pal. Uh, I love saying it because let me tell you, looking smart by saying I've read it is the most enjoyment I've ever gone from that novel. <laughs> uh, but you know, maybe I'll they'll maybe there are sprinkles here and there that I'll uh, I'll say throughout the episode. Oh, interesting! Interesting. Yeah, stay tuned. I think it's well, about I think it's about time we had a we. I think it's about time we had. I, this, Lucas, this is going to say this is more to offend me than you. It's about time we had a smart person host this show. <laughs> I was going to say the only Joyce I've read is his like letters about farting. So this is uh, definitely going to be educational for me. The only Joyce I've read is Joyce Carol Oates. <laughs> so the actual matter of this episode has to do with the Tibbles. Initially, their initial problem is that they want to pick up something called the Crummy Critters Creepy Castle when they're out shopping with their grandmother. So they be- they beg and they plead and they cry and we've we always give grandma Tibble a bit like a bit of consternation because she seems to be very permissive of the the way these boys are, which is that they're terrible. But she does actually crack the whip here a little bit. She says if they if they're going to get that Crummy Critters Creepy Castle, they're going to have to Pay, help to pay for it themselves, and and how old are the Tibbles? Tibbles, I believe, are about four years old. Yeah, they're DW's do they, age. Do they have a concept of money? Like, do they understand <laughs> how I, to purchase something? <laughs> I don't think so. Based on when they're they're there's later on in this episode, they're differentiating between the coins they have, and it's by size, not monetary value. <laughs> uh, so I think their their concept of money is very loose. Uh, something I liked about this part is um, when they want this toy, they're doing the hard educational sell. Um, and this is this was a tool out of my old toolbox. Was like, oh, you know, mom, you have to buy me, um, you know, the Sonic Bionicle. Schoolhouse. Yeah, you you gotta buy me Sonic Adventure Two Battle because it's educational in the sense <laughs> that you know, um, it, it stimulates the brain to have to look for the chaos emeralds and the rouge levels like like there was always like you had to frame wanting something in in kind of an educational context back in the day so this was funny to see that old trick i'd do better on world war ii history if you bought me call of duty that's Mm -hmm. all i'm saying Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah big time i you know what lucas i wish like I, i i said it as a joke but man did i ever want sonic schoolhouse for the windows 95 and that actually was educational it was probably it was probably really terrible, but boy, did I really want that! Every time we went to Staples, I would go and look at the the, the copy of Sonic Schoolhouse for the PC. Um, and it, and when uh, I want to say it's Tommy who's doing the hard sell, the educational sell, he says it comes with one, two, four, six, five crummy critters. So it's in, it helps improve his counting. So the Tibbles don't know exactly how they're going to get money. You're right, Lucas. They're like counting out. They're they're sorting their money by size of coin. It's almost like in D and D, you have bronze, silver, and gold. So they're almost structured by color as much as actual value. And Emily comes by. She wants to sell them a painting of hers for twenty five cents. And the Tibbles in- initially think this is a dumb idea, but then they see Miss Morgan purchasing one of Emily's paintings for a quarter, and that's when they realize the real scam is becoming an artist. I, you know what? I just had an epiphany. I should have wrote this down in my notes. Yeah. Did You know how sometimes we'll watch an episode, Will, and Rage, you might not know about this, but sometimes we'll watch an episode and it's like, okay, this Arthur episode's from when, Will, like 2008, 2009? Yeah, something around there. Uh, and it's like art imitates life and vice versa. You know, uh, Arthur episode from the 90s or from the early 2000s will be weirdly applicable to what's going on right now. Did we, as a collective, stumble on an Arthur episode about NFTs? Is that what this episode really is when we get down to it? <laughs> you know what? I totally didn't have that in mind. I was going to ask like a, a a related question, but maybe we did because the I mean the at least the initial thrust of this episode is the Tibbles learn that it's and it's not just making money with art. 
would be you know they start to off by doing these like really rudimentary um imp- not impressionist but like these really um abstract abstract thank you these abstract paintings like they create one that's called stars in mud and the second half of their way to get money for this and this they do this on mr ratburn they have a whole act where they will try to sell the painting and when the mark uh doesn't want it they start crying and they say like oh we'll never be real artists so yeah this could be in like a political cartoon way be like representative of the current nft crisis we have going on yeah, maybe the Tibbles would be able to sell more of these if they were drawing, like, dope apes. If they were drawing, like, a cartoon of some sort of ape with, like, a beanie smoking weed with, like, a gold chain and, like, sunglasses. And he looks like he's, like, drooling. I feel like that's what the market wants right now. And I also had a question because I feel like um, you, Lucas, I know, uh, Rage, I think... You, you seem to me, you've already out-English majored me, so I, I see you as a bit more of a cultured individual than myself. Are there any artists out there, and if they don't have to be just, like, painters or, like, illustrators, it could be, like, musicians or, like, famous people who, like, part of their whole bit is that they guilt their fans into buying their stuff? Like, it, are, are there literally artists out there who, like, have cried to get fans to buy what they want? Like, I couldn't think of anything off the top of my head. Oh, I I don't actually know. I suspect the real answer to some extent, and, uh, you know, I'm being a little bit hyperbolic here. You know, artists have a sense of humor, uh, but it's all artists will. That's the actual answer, <laughs> is that this is just, you know, the, the Tibbles are learning early that uh, if you want to make it out there in the world of fine art, especially... Um, 60% of being a professional artist is, uh, being a bit of a huckster and getting people to buy in to, uh, yeah. What, what are some of their pieces called? We have raisins and mud, but yeah, what are some star- of the early stars and mud, something about raisins. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a whole genre of Netflix comedy specials that are just talking about how hard it is to be a comedian. Does that count? Mm. It's pretty close. It's I pretty think it's close. close. Almost. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I just wanted. To, I was. I was like. I feel like I'm so close to something here, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it. Eventually, so they they keep this art scam going. It, like and it is. It is basically a scam. But I. I will say they are uh, expending like painting supplies. Um, mm-hmm. Timmy mm-hmm. actually ends up painting a good picture, like good for kids standards. Like it's not abstract. It's actually like it's a. T- uh, you can tell that it's a picture of a boat. And the only person left that they haven't sold to is Grandma Thora, who declines to buy it because she says, it's just not my cup of tea. And this is where, like, not only are we dealing with, like, art scam and NFTs as themes in this episode, we're also dealing with subjectivity. The Tibbles, like, have this galaxy brain moment in their four-year-old brains when they realize that not everybody likes their art because Timmy is just like, well, why didn't she, why didn't she like it? It's a good painting. And Tommy's, Tommy's like, well, I think it's good, but just because I like something doesn't mean everyone does. So it's a really interesting way to like introduce this kind of heady concept that even some adults have trouble uh, understanding. Yeah. It's a good lesson for a kid's show and not to subtract from that, but uh, is the boat painting, not just the painting from The Simpsons' living room. Whoa. Oh. 100%. Oh, my it's, God. It is. It's, it is. Holy crap. I didn't even think about that. Like, And you know what? When I was watching it, I was like, this looks familiar, but I don't know why it looks so familiar. <laughs> oh, my God. I think you're right. I got to look. Hang now, on. I got to look yeah. at this. this. Now... From episode 69, we know South Park is canon in the Arthur universe. So this implies that Tommy just ripped off the Simpsons when he painted the boat. Which totally makes sense that they are the kids who watched the Simpsons before yes. they were allowed yes. to. Yes, of yes. Any, of Absolutely. anybody, of any character in Arthur, the ones that I have the most... Um, and this is actually this precedent has been set in previous episodes about this very subject. But the one that the ones that have the most unmonitored TV time is absolutely the Tibble Twins. 
I'm looking at this. This is wow. This is uncanny. This is see see rage. This is what this is why I'm glad that we have you on here. I knew you were gonna. Th- I know. You, I knew you were gonna it, see something in a way that we weren't gonna be able to. This is like one two one. Man, that's crazy. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna be thinking about that for the for the rest of the night. All right. So yeah, the Tibbles learn about subjectivity. So they and they ultimately get enough money by selling their paintings to pay for half of the creepy castle. And then they find out yeah. the castle doesn't come with batteries. Batteries not included. So they have to raise even more money to get the batteries themselves. They offer to get the batteries themselves. Uh, eight 12-volt double-E batteries, to be exact, which Grandma yes. Thora exclaims that she has never even heard of batteries like those. Um, I think that's what my Game Gear took when I was five. <laughs> and then and then sucked them dry in two hours, then you had to get four more, right? Uh, my parents eventually bought me a Game Boy just to save money on batteries, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it's a better system, but it, they, they did it for financial reasons. Good call. Good call. I, I, I understand that, but, uh, yeah, the Game Gear used to, used to just suck the life out of them like vampires. God. Um, so the... Also, yeah, go ahead. One thing, though, you skipped a part where the Tibbles only had $9.75. Hmm. And Grandma Tibble was like, nope, nuh-uh, no way. That's not good enough. <laughs> she's setting she, it, boundaries. Yeah, she's really unflinching in this episode with them. Like like, like I kind of said before, we often take her to task for being a little bit, like, lax with them and letting them, you know, act like ruffians and beat each other up and all this kind of stuff. But she's actually, she's tightening the leash a little bit in this episode, and I appreciated it. Um, thank you for bringing that up, Rage. It's like, with I, I will admit, for this one myself, not a whole lot of notes for this either. It's uh, um, I, I would have just given them the twenty five cents. I, I think they they showed initiative. They showed gumption. But where but where does it end, Rage? You know, you give them twenty five cents today, uh, and then tomorrow, inch, and, and then to, and then you blink in a blink of an eye, they're twenty eight, and they're still in your basement, and they don't have a job, and. You know, then, I mean, you know, you, you take another blink and they're 50 and they're uh, selling NFTs. Who knows? They. I it, mean, it, Grandma it, Tibble is, uh, what, in her 60s and she's still living in the attic, so. <laughs> <laughs> and as, and if the cold open is to be believed, the Tibbles grow up to be artists, so they're just going to keep begging for money. That's that's their true. life now. <laughs> oh, huh. <laughs> Um, so yeah, the, they need to find batteries for the castle. So they need more painting supplies, which they, uh, go to DW and Emily. They offer the, uh, they offer DW a, um, what would you call this? Like a popcorn variety pack? Yeah. Like a tin of caramel and cheese popcorn, uh, in order to, in order to use their paint, uh, which has become quite the investment for them as, as they've become artists, uh, quote unquote, so they manage to they manage to get the paintings. They make a, a really nice painting of a house on a hillside, like an actual good one. They make it together. Mm. I like and, the sequence too, the way they animate um, the painting coming together. Yeah, it's it's actually it's actually mm. kind of nice. And they make the painting. They decide to sell it to Grandma Thora, but then they kind of regret doing it. They almost wish that they hadn't. The episode wraps up with them finally getting the batteries for the creepy castle, and it's like, you know, it's, it reminds me of. The Daily Bugle playset that I got when I was a kid, and it's like it's like got all these Ooh. like traps and tricks and all these creatures, and you know it's very it makes a lot of noise and all that sort of thing. But in the end, they just end up selling the castle to Binky so that they can get money to buy more art supplies to <laughs> indulge in their new creative habit. They took a wash on that one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's let's bust open the accounting checkbook for a second here. They sure. sell it to Binky for fifteen bucks. How much did they pay for it again? Twenty. Oh man, yeah, that's not. The, also, art, they really are artists first and businessmen <laughs> second, eh? Also, they're selling those pictures for, uh, you know, fifty cents. Uh, how much paint and glitter do they use, and how much does that cost? And raisins too. And raisins; those those are expensive. 
You're right. Yeah, I like how much food they're just stealing. Like the part when they're the, they're bartering for the paints. Like they didn't buy that tub of popcorn. They just stole that from their cupboard. They waste a whole bag of lemons trying to make lemonade. <laughs> at one point, you're right. They they decide that they don't want to to uh, paint, so they try making lemon try making lemonade, and they make as they do. They make a mess. Um, that that fifteen dollars probably cost the Tibble family like. 30 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> or, or more so, given the produce shortage in Canada right now. Who knows? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so hopefully they have somebody managing their money when they're 20 years. Maybe maybe Muffy is their manager. Maybe Muffy's managing their money. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I think Muffy takes care of them. I, I mean, honestly, that's who I would want of the Arthur cast to be my accountant. But uh, I don't know. We'll have to look into that later. Hopefully this isn't the last we see of the older Tibbles. But, uh, yeah, they seem to have picked up a new creative hobby. We'll see if this comes back in later episodes. So uh, something I do want to mention is that uh, the Tibbles selling the uh, play set at the end mirrors Stephen Daedalus the protagonist of Portrait of an Artist as a Young Man. It mirrors his journey, where he wins 33 pounds in an essay writing contest and uh, tries to buy things to fill the hole in his heart. But he can never do that, and he only finds solace when he stars in a play as a, as a you know high school student. I mean, speaking of things having value, Rage, your presence here continues to pay off i would i didn't even i i like i don't even know what that book is about you're this is this is this is some real gold you're giving us they they tie it in the it the tibbles and stephen daedalus they're like this you can't see my hands but i'm (laughs) i'm interlocking them well who uh, the the person who wrote this episode probably had their own english degree that they wanted to uh to make everybody yeah, yeah to flex exactly uh as far as I can tell, the Tibbles don't hire prostitutes with their money, but uh, that's that's the really the only difference. <laughs> yeah, prob- most most likely. Now I gotta read. The, now I gotta read this book. I gotta figure out, and then then I can tell everybody that I read it in university a decade ago. Nice. All right, so we're gonna get into the second part of our episode, but first we're gonna just take a quick break. We'll be back in just a moment after this message. Hey everybody, it's Lucas from the Elwood City Limits podcast, and if you love ECL, there's a couple of ways to keep up with us. You could go to facebook.com slash elwoodcitylimits, at ECL podcast, that's our Twitter. We take questions on Tumblr, it's elwoodcitylimits.tumblr.com. There is an Instagram as well, Elwood City Limits on Instagram. Of course, if you want to donate to the show and get exclusive content, whether that's our full-length commentary of the Arthur movies, our brand new a bi-weekly PBS Kids review show as well as our video game movie reviews with the Sonic movie review and Pikachu movie review you can check out patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits uh, and that's also going to get you access to the Elwood City Limits Discord which me and Will like to post in from time to time and if you want that sweet sweet Elwood City Limits merch check out teespring.com slash stores slash Elwood hyphen city hyphen limits hyphen store you can listen to the podcast at libsyn.com slash Elwood City Limits, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and there's other podcast apps like Stitcher. And if we're not on your favorite app, let us know. And where can you let us know? Well, that's going to be at ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. That's also where you can send us a question and we'll read it on the show. Finally, if you want to support the podcast, the best way to do so is to tell a friend who likes animation or Arthur or just podcasts in general and to go to our iTunes page and rate us out of five stars. Apparently, that helps podcasts out. Bye, everybody. So we go from an episode that ends up having a plot that resembles a beloved book to one with a title that resembles a beloved book, The Secret Guardians. Now, I had no idea. That does not exactly give away what we're talking about. And the cold open left me even more flummoxed at a point because Arthur is sleeping and a mysterious voice prompts him to explore the hidden sides of Elwood City. He's magically transported to his treehouse and... 
the voice says the most wondrous discoveries are in your own backyard. It's a disembodied <laughs> voice. He get it gives Arthur a teles a telescope, and he uses it to look at the sugar bowl sign, and he sees like a. A, a bird's nest in the sign and again it's just like there's so much to discover in your own backyard um this the disembodied voice thing commanding arthur to do something reminded me a bit of shadow of the colossus was i was i the only one who when the disembodied voice is telling arthur to look through the telescope at his own backyard was i the only one who thought the voice was trying to encourage him to look into his neighbor's windows because that was like <laughs> what i thought yeah, was I thought going he... on I thought it was going to be like a rear window situation. Right. I, I mean, who knows? It could have been like could have been it, anything. Yeah, it could have been way more sinister than it ended up being, but it seems to be benevolent in terms of just making Arthur see the beauty. And then when Arthur wakes up, he gets a phone call from Sue Ellen who directs him to pass the cold open into the episode. Sue Ellen has created has made a tiny ship, tiny pirate ship called the Sea Venture and sails it after a little bit of confusion sue ellen arthur and binky they sail it past raging waters to a little seen wooded area of elwood city that we've never seen before on the show and it seems to be this this kind of shangri-la this relaxing spot I will say this is somewhat of an ecological ecological marvel because I you know I don't know too much about uh American biospheres um, but I'm to understand that vines are not common in the woods of the New England area. Now, I could be mistaken. I could hmm. be mistaken. It might be like Indiana Jones 4 and Shia LaBeouf swinging around with the monkeys down in Boston, Massachusetts. But I'm to understand that if Elwood City and, and Rage, me and Will have, um, as, as Arthur, uh, Artholiogen, uh, Arthologians, <laughs> uh, as the foremost Ooh. scholars of the of the TV show Arthur, Arthur uh, Logians have had a lot of uh, discussions about where Elwood City Elwood City is, hmm. and we've essentially determined it's somewhere in New England, maybe a little bit closer to Philadelphia, depending on who you talk to. But anyway, um, I just don't think there's vines in this part of the United States. So if you were, came across this, this would be pretty crazy. Totally. That's you know what? That's a really good point. Arthur points out that there are vines for swinging, and I, you know what, I, I have such. I've mentioned before, my my I, my mind is not made for geography, especially United States geography, which I know even less about than my own country. So it was not even something that I even thought about. Um, that's what Arthur's the most interested in. There's like a cool like spot for swimming and just hanging around. Binky spots multiple interesting species of butterflies. So Rage, Binky is something of a lepidopterist. He's a he's an amateur uh, butterfly lover. He loves to classify. And there was a whole episode earlier on in Arthur where he caught uh, butterflies around Elwood City and pursued a rare one. So he knows what he's talking about. Wow, wow. continuity. Yes, in fact, that's something we've brought up a lot. As as Arthur gets older, in terms of how many years it's been on the air, it actually gets better at referencing its continuity. Like we, there's been a, there's been quite a few like nods here and there to like deep Arthur lore stuff. This this included, and they eventually decide to name this place Arsubia. They have they initially want to call it Arsubi because Arthur Sue Ellen. Binky, but then Sue Ellen says Arsubia sounds better. Her th- uh, Sue Ellen's thing is that she finds an arrowhead and thinks that there may be key to a lost civilization in this part of town they call Arsubia. But Binky, yes, oh, oh, they're yes. called the they're called the Arsubians. Arsubians, yes. So I, I did this with our names, by the way. Uh, if if we were gonna have one, and of course I put myself first, mm-hmm. uh, it would be Lurawai. Uh, Lurawi, 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 yeah, Lurawi, Lurawi would be our country. I that's not bad. After you get after you hear it a couple times, kind of gets <laughs> yeah, it's like that. It, it's like the Nintendo head. Wii. Yeah, when you first hear it, you're like, wait a minute, they're calling it what? <laughs> uh, and then eventually you get used to it. The Nintendo Lurawi, Binky is the one who is really encouraging the other two to keep the place a secret uh, because he doesn't want more people to scare away the butterflies. He wants to keep it secret, keep it safe. 
in fact, he, pol- he polices Arthur quite a bit the next day as Arthur almost blabs about where he went to Buster, and then Binky kind of gives him the stink eye. He even, like, Binky kind of pulls him aside, and he's just like, listen, he's like, listen, Reed, we don't want to let on that we know where this is. He calls him Reed, which I thought was very severe. Now, this, he might be a little rough, but I'm with Binky on this. Uh, Arthur swore on a rock, <laughs> uh, on the holy stone of Arubia, or uh, that uh, he wouldn't tell anyone, and like twelve hours later, he's telling Buster. No self discipline on that kid. I agree. Uh, with- I like when he almost tells Buster, and the, the the excuse he comes up with because of Binky's intimidation is that he actually he's like, I found a really cool, and Buster's like, uh, and then he's like, a website. What was the last time someone recommended you guys a really cool website? Probably like. <laughs> Maybe Billy Billy. I'm I don't I'm not familiar. I don't even know what that is. I'll see see that's my own secret uh, guardian thing. Is like I don't I don't want to tell you over the air because I don't want too many people to know about it. I can I'll tell I'll, I'll tell you about it off uh, air. Last time someone recommended me a website, it, I I made a Twitter account and I've been stuck there ever since. Oh no! Someone don't go to websites. <laughs> yeah, someone uh, gave you a terrible curse. Um, my website recommendation, uh, for the week is, uh, dance dot party. Um, so if you're ever bored and you want to look at a cool website, I would go to D-D-D-A-N-C-E dot party. Or, furthermore, another website I would recommend to the dear listeners would be, uh, patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. Really cool website hmm. there. Lots of cool stuff. Cool secret website, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'll write that, I'll write that one down for you if you need me to. And Ra- and Ra- Arthur describes the website as a secret website about secrets and secret mm. things. Mm. That sounds like and some so pretty da- that that could be pretty dangerous. To yes. think of what- getting Buster on the dark web. <laughs> yeah, I'm af- I'm afraid of what's going to happen there because Buster only needs a little bit of a tip, and then he's into full blown conspiracy mode. But and and Rage, I agree with you that Arthur needs to keep his mouth shut. But there is a reason for it that we get that we get later. Um, so like I said before, Sue Ellen is imagining that her arrowhead could be the key to a lost civilization. She wants to comb around for more evidence. In fact, she imagines bringing the evidence to a place called the Exploration Club, which is like a, like a gentleman's sit-down club of explorers. And one of the, one of the, one of the gentlemen, a Brit, says that he discovered Mount Canimora, which is bigger than Mount Everest, while the other one brags in a Scottish accent that he discovered the Kanawanabe, a horned lizard that only eats walnut shells. And for some reason, in Sue Ellen's own imagination, they laugh at her for her discovery? She, she has self-esteem issues, it seems. Yeah, this is like this is like what I imagine I'm gonna I'm like a you know, and my my greatest imagination. Oh yeah, I'm gonna be a wrestler, and I'm gonna win the Intercontinental Championship. <laughs> uh, this this dream sequence is really strange. I don't know a lot of uh, elementary school students who like picture themselves as uh, colonialist adventurers, like <laughs> in in their study. You know, with with like um, all their their kind of trophies on the wall and stuff like that. It's a weird like. I, I, you don't see a lot of like lost city of Z types in elementary school. I feel like. No, you're right. I think it is a little bit of a, a little bit of a relic now. It's not really something that, and it was always a very, uh, like male fantasy. I don't know if it's really something that, uh, a lot of uh girls were interested in doing. I'm sure some were, but it is just, I don't know, a little passe now. Maybe even a little outdated. Um, eventually Arthur and Sue Ellen decide that they don't really want to keep it a secret anymore. Like they don't, they're not really having a good time keeping, um, Arsubia a secret. And in fact, this is where we see Arthur says, uh, it's like, I had to, I couldn't tell Buster and I hate lying to Buster. And it's like Arthur and Buster, best friends, Arthur going so far as he just hates to tell that boy a lie. It's really cute. I liked it. You you don't get many interactions between Buster and Arthur in this episode. No, Buster's a much more general character, but there is at least a little bit of a hint to how close, you know, Arthur and Buster, they're they're closer than brothers. 
and now they have to fight each other. You should do episode it, it, 69 of Yu-Gi-Oh. Uh, <laughs> is this the conversation that happens when they're at the Sugar Bowl when he's talking about how much he, he hates lying to Buster? You're right. They do have a conversation at the Sugar Bowl with Binky where Binky kind of doubles yes. down. Okay, so B- Binky's outfit in this scene when he's doubling down, Binky's dressed like he's into, like, hardcore. Like, he- he's dressed like he's on his way to a Bane show. I don't know if you guys know the hardcore band Bane, but Binky looks like he's about to start waxing poetic about brotherhood and the scene and stuff like that. Oh, do you think do you think Binky's straight edge in this gear? I, I-, I don't know, but all I know is he's, he's a tough guy, and I want to stay away from him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I now have a mental image of Binky doing the big the big the big like arms winding uh, yeah. pit dance. B- B- Binky busting out his pit moves, listening to like Youth of Today and stuff like that. Although Binky strikes me as the kind of guy who would like help people help people up, or maybe just like be on the barriers and keep the pit going, mm. like an elder pitsman or something. I don't know. <laughs> I can't pretend to have ever been this cool. Um, Binky, well, speaking of Binky's outfits, when Arthur and Sue Ellen go back to Arsubia, he's got an entirely different one. He's got, like, a station cap and a cape, and he just became an immigration officer under their, <laughs> under their nose here. <laughs> so this is my highlight of the episode. Binky, like, <laughs> creating a, a, he's instituted a nationalist bureaucracy <laughs> in, uh, uh, Arsubia, uh, Arsubia, rather. Um, and he goes as far as to demand identification papers, which he he's able to produce. <laughs> um, this was great. How how did he set up that little uh, border? He he has like a uh, one of those um, up and down uh, arms. Yeah, like a like a like a style. Yeah. I have no idea how he was able to institute an entire passport system uh, is completely beyond me. But I, I, ha- I always have to admire him going the extra mile, even though it is for a purpose like uh, like immigration, which, you know, a little bit fraught these days. I'm just like, oh, Binky, you don't want to be an immigration officer. That's not cool. One of the, thi- one of the things sometimes when I'm bored, I'll look at like pa- expired passports on eBay Mm. Um, just to see, like, oh, like, especially for, like, countries that don't exist anymore, just, like, all these, looking at all these passports from the former Yugoslavia or whatever. Right. Um, and I wonder how much it would cost to buy, you know, Binky's Arsubia passport. That's, that's gotta be a collector's item. Probably, uh, maybe about the same amount of money that it would cost you to get a Tibble original. A Tibble original oh, print. <laughs> Tibble NFTs. We gotta do this, you guys. I'm telling you. We get on the ground floor of this, yeah. the Tibble NFTs. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna make a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I got it. Oh, I got the worst taste I, the, in my the, mouth when you said Tibble NFT. So good. The the Ethereum is in your wallet, your e wallet right now. Will I already sent it your way? Because that's how much I trust uh, that we <laughs> we're gonna make it big, dude. Uh, and well, uh, Binky becomes a a patrol officer, uh, Sue Ellen, back at the Sugar Bowl. She says the land belongs to the Arsubians. So she might have dreams of being a colonizer, but at the end of the day, she says land back, so that's good. Yeah, it's true. She's gone full, like, Dances with Wolves, full uh, (laughs) uh, uh, The Last Samurai, you know, uh, The Last of the Mohicans. Well, and Sue Ellen has always been a very idealistic character. Now, she has traveled everywhere around the ro- around the world with her parents, but she is also very much into social justice. So I imagine this is this, these are the two sides, the two wolves within her that are constantly at war, <laughs> the colonizer and the land back, as you, as you said, Rage. Uh, yeah, and she even says the indigenous people of Arsubia, which even though no such people exist, it's nice that she gave them all that leeway. Well, well, we think no such people exist until uh, we hear a horn in the distance. And for a split second, I was like, oh, my God, are, are we getting, like, bone tomahawk vibes from what's about <laughs> oh, to happen? Oh, God. What's about to happen to the, the – the, are the Arsubians back? Uh, but, no, it turns out there's only actually one original Arsubian, uh, and that would be Buster, who was hiding in the bushes the whole time, blowing mm-hmm. into this conch shell. Uh, and it turns out he's known about this place all along. He used to come here by himself for years and years and years. And it's like kind of his like quiet place. And actually it was introduced. He said he came first time he came was when he was four years old with his dad. And it was their little spot that they called Baxteropia. 
So it has already been quote unquote colonized <laughs> in its own way. And uh, but he he's very amenable to the three of them being there, and he shares some of its secrets. Like the end of the episode is it starts to rain, and Buster says, "Let's go see the let's go to the cave." And Biggie's like, "There's a cave." So there's a lot of secrets to uh, Arsubia slash Baxteropia that uh, these the new the new kids do not know yet. So Buster goes to show it to them. And speaking of weird geography, uh, mm-hmm. Buster actually hangs a lampshade on this. Where did he get that conch? It's, uh, it's so he doesn't know. That's the magic where, of Arsubia. Well, we, we may never know. Well, where do conch shells come from normally? I, 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 I don't know. Big old crab. Yeah. Hmm. So there would have to be crabs in oh, this part of Elwood Rage, now you're getting your first taste of the, the classic <laughs> Elwood City conversation. Was it a, like, funny animal crab or was it, a, a, like, an anthropomorphic crab? You know, oh, the yeah. animal hierarchy. That's anytime you have a question that can't be answered in Arthur, it's usually the animal hierarchy. So who knows? Maybe it was, like, a There's... crab who was just, like, a guy with a day job who was walking around here. Or maybe it was, like, a crab like the animal. Who knows? There's a deer earlier in this episode which definitely raised some questions for me. And who knows? Maybe maybe Buster could have gotten that conch shell when they went to Ocean Zone, and got it like oh, yeah. off an off a non a non living crab or an, a crab without a soul. I forgot about Ocean Zone. <laughs> right. Okay. And he just forgot he got it there. Yeah. You know what? This is the kind of thing where they would. I'm sure the writers would encourage the the most knowledgeable of Arthur fans to th- think about what they might have done or how do you think it happened? You might be right. I don't know. <laughs> so now is the point in the episode, Rage, where we're going to talk about this in more general terms, in terms of what did you think about what we've just seen. So let's go back to uh, Portrait of the Artist as a Young Tibble. And we'll start with you, Rage, if that's okay. So what did it... <laughs> yeah. Wait, wait. First, first question. Yes, no. Did you like it more or less than uh, the James Joyce book? Ooh. Ooh. Oh, oh, <laughs> hard question. Jeez, uh, I I think it is more succinct than the James Joyce book. <laughs> Bonus points for that for sure. <laughs> uh, I I like this uh, episode. I like the the Tibbles. I like their scumbag artist years that you they show in the beginning. Uh, I like them learning all about capitalism and uh, how to pull yourself up from your bootstraps. That's, you know, fun times there. Uh, And uh, I like that it focused on some uh, side characters. Uh, That's probably pretty common in where you're at, but from Mm. my Arthur memories, uh, having an episode without Arthur or D.W., uh, prominently featured was uh, was heresy. It was nonsense. <laughs> Couldn't do it. You you know what? You might be surprised. Uh, there yes. there will there will many, many episodes will go by before we'll even see hide nor hair of Arthur. So for for a guy who has his own show, sometimes it doesn't feel like his, his show very much. Uh, Lucas, what about you? Uh, I thought this episode was okay. Uh, I do. I think there's a lot of really funny moments in this episode, um, and it's a really creative idea. I mean, first and foremost, to make the Tibbles artists. Uh, you know, we really haven't had that much. There, we've had a little depth from the Tibbles. Like, I think the the most we've actually gotten to see the Tibbles as characters is that episode where Timmy and Tommy split up, and they like totally change personalities because they're not with each other to encourage each other with their worst impulses. But it's interesting to think about, like, all the Tibble's manic and chaotic energy applied to something like the art world. And I don't know how many artists you guys know, but especially in the world of fine art, it makes sense that someone kind of as eccentric as the Tibbles would grow up to uh, kind of be in that world. So that was interesting and creative. But in terms of as an episode, um, you know, there's not a lot of, like, rising action or anything. They're just kind of saving up and then they almost don't have enough, and then they fight, and they, they come across a dime, and then they have enough, and then they kind of learn their lesson that the art was, the journey is better than the destination. Um, so I, I would say I don't have any big problems with it or anything, but certainly a middle-of-the-road episode. Uh, I'm wondering, you know, are, are we going to ever see Arthur's take on Finnegan's Wake? That's what I'm <laughs> holding out for. <laughs> or uh, Arthur's Ashes, maybe. <laughs> 
or uh, uh, you, Arthur Arthlisses. <laughs> I, I would watch Arthlisses. <laughs> um, I agree with you, Lucas. I was also felt this was kind of middle of the road. You can always kind of tell when like an episode just ends, and you're like, oh, that was it, eh? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but 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 like you said, I I don't begrudge it for that, and it's well, like we talked about some interesting. Like, subjects for a children's show that you wouldn't necessarily... Because when the younger characters like the Tibbles or DW or James have their own episode, you tend to think it's like, well, then that means it's for, like, little, little kids. But we're talking about topics like, you know, being an artist as a career, um, having something be creatively fulfilling, even if it's not financially fulfilling, or, or the opposite... Uh, subjectivity. Not everybody can like the same thing, and not everything is good to everybody. Just all of these heady topics that I'm like, okay, I applaud Arthur for even for even trying to do something like that. So I don't know. It's there were a couple little things in here, like a quote here and there. I really enjoyed the flash forward uh, in terms of just the looks of what the characters may look like in the future. Um. Yeah, there's enough here that I I can kind of give it a little thumbs up, but yeah, a little bit middling in terms of an episode. Honestly, I feel the same way about The Secret Guardians, but again, it's in the details of the episode that I think you can find some stuff to really stick around with. I do appreciate, uh, in the Discord a few days ago, uh, somebody asked a question about, like, unusual episode pairings, and, like, which characters do you find, did you like when they got to hang out with each other. So, like, when Binky and DW had those series of episodes together, and you're like, oh, I would never would have put those characters together. So with this one, it's like, we've seen Binky and Arthur. We've seen Arthur and Sue Ellen a lot less, so I like that. But seeing the three of them as as a unit, I thought was actually quite interesting in terms of how they their dynamics played around with each other. The actual matter of the episode is a, a little thin, but it did allow for some funny parts, uh, some funny involvement. Like, I think Binky is... Uh, of course, as always, a big star here. And, uh, yeah, again, a little bit middle of the road, but it, it was nice, and I and I had it in my mind of, like, there's going to be enough things in here that we're going to be able to talk about that's going to make this int- uh, interesting and fun in retrospect. Uh, Lucas, The Secret Guardians, what'd you think? I really liked The Secret Guardians. Uh, okay. I thought it was a, an entertaining episode with lots of bits. Um, it reminded me of the Cartoon Network show Craig of the Creek. If you ever wanted to see this yeah. episode of Arthur expanded into a four-season television show, uh, that's essentially what Craig of the Creek is. Um, is this kind of concept expanded upon? I don't know. It's it's a very, like I said, uh, not a lot of stakes in this one. Um, the stakes are basically someone's going to figure out about our secret hangout spot. Uh, but I think that... Um, despite the lack of any sort of high drama, the comedy that ensues really worked for me in this one. I liked all the segments where Binky is trying to stop Arthur from spilling his beans like three times in a row. Um, I liked, you know, all the imagination sequences with all the kids. Like, like I said, we have um, uh, 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 Sue Ellen kind of daydreaming about like going, discovering the caves of Solomon or something. Like it's kind of weird. Uh, and so that was unique to me. Um, and I, I, I kind of liked, even though it's a little bit, a little too tight in a nice little bow, I kind of liked the way it, uh, all wraps up with the big reveal that they hadn't discovered it after all. Uh, and something could be said, you know, if you want to get, um, looking at the meta text here, there's something to be said about, uh, there's a lot of things, uh, you know, our culture thinks we've discovered and, and perhaps even places that we think we've quote unquote discovered, uh, only to realize uh, that maybe we weren't the first after all. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I, th- I thought it was an interesting episode. What did you think about it, Rage? Uh, I like this snake draft we got going on. Um, okay, <laughs> so uh, I don't, I guess I was the highest on uh, the Tibble one, but um, I'm maybe the lowest on this one because uh, I, just, I just didn't get invested in a their pursuit of this magical place i got distracted by that deer i think that deer should have talked <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're gonna have a lot of distractions amongst uh all of arthur's seasons my friend yeah 
Uh, I like uh, the bits around Binky's uh, paranoia, where he uh, becomes a border patrol guard. Uh, I thought that was a lot of fun, and he has a real good outfit there. But uh, this one just didn't do it for me. I, uh, I don't think there was much uh, uh, going on in this episode. Fair enough. I mean, we and, and sometimes we come away f- feeling that way, too. So not every Arthur episode... Uh, works and I can tot- and I can totally see what you're talking about with this one. But Rage, we were really glad to have you on here, and uh, hopefully you enjoyed the experience from uh, watching the Ar- Arthur episode to talking about the Arthur episode. We're certainly glad to have you here as part of the show. Now, I'd just love to ask you to let people know where they can find you and where they can find Podcast Sixty Nine. Yes, of course. Uh, Once again, that is Podcast 69, the TV review show where we go through a different uh, TV show every month and watch the 69th episode. Uh, You can find that wherever you get your podcasts, probably. Apple, Google, etc. Link in the description, maybe. I don't know. Uh, What's next, Rage? What's Rex? What's the 69th episode you're going to be watching on the next app? All right. The last one we did was Survivor, and uh, that was Mm. a journey. Boy, let me tell you, uh, I learned a lot about Survivor in that episode. Next one, uh, no definitive plans. I'm thinking Cheers? Maybe Cheers? What do you think, (laughs) Cheers? Sure. Yeah? I think think it's episode 69. Would that be... I don't know. You might still be in the thick of Sam and Diane. I don't know. It would be the De- Diane era. I think. I don't. Even, I, I'm hoping Coach is still alive. I think so. I want to say. I want to say yes. I think so. Uh, but yeah, no. The, spe- the people have spoken. It's going to be Cheers. <laughs> Stay tuned. All right. Well, you're you're welcome, Podcast Sixty Nine listeners, and definitely recommend Rage's show. It's a lot of fun to listen to. The Arthur one is a great in if you're looking for one to start. But I, I would say just go to a TV show you're familiar with or want to be familiar with, and have Rage take you the rest of the way. Um, yeah. So Rage, again, thank you very much for coming on the show. We really appreciate having you here. It's always great to get an outside perspective on Arthur, and hopefully we've uh, shown you a little bit of what it looks like uh, beyond the lens of childhood. Yep. Thank you, guys. It's uh, It's been a lot of fun. Coming up for Lucas and I uh, next week on the Patreon, Lucas's choice for, for the Kids of PBS Kids podcast, and we're going to be talking about Elmo's World. Uh, it is its own. Elmo has re-entered the cultural discourse, and now is there's never been a better time to strike while the iron is hot and talk about everybody's favorite question mark Sesame Street character slash Muppet. So we're going to be talking about all about Elmo's world. Then coming up in two weeks on the next episode of Elwood City Limits, the episode we're going to be covering includes the stories Fernlets by Fern and Prunella and the Haunted Locker. So we're getting a double dose of girl power on Arthur coming up very soon. Make sure you check out Podcast 69. There's some great episodes that you can listen to. I think I might check out this Sword Art Online episode. I I didn't watch <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't watch the whole thing. I watched like the first season and I just kind of want to know like get 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 oh. like a dose of like what happens? What's going on? Oh, oh my goodness. Yes, definitely. You should. <laughs> Well, of of course. Sword Art Online to me, it's like it's like the salvia of anime in that you know it could only be ten minutes, but it feels like a lifetime, and the whole time it's awful. <laughs> <laughs> for our guest Ray Jean, my name is Will Young, and for Lucas Mancini, it's the complete anatomy of a pig. You never know what you're going to find at a yard sale. We'll see you next time. <laughs>